Welcome to the Money Mentors podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm here once again with my colleague, Glenn Fairburn. We are proudly brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth. Hewison Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. The objective of this podcast is to improve financial awareness and financial literacy to all our listeners. Today, Glenn and I will have a discussion around Bitcoin. We'll have a, a talk about the history of money and how we think Bitcoin can be used and what its future might look like. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're going to have a discussion around money and in particular Bitcoin. Um, so over the past uh, couple of months, uh, the, the, the price of Bitcoin has basically skyrocketed. Um, at the moment, Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is, is trading around 7,000 US dollars. Um, and to put that into perspective, it was around 1,000 US dollars at the start of the year. So it's been a, a very steep rise and it's gaining a lot of uh, media attention at the moment, isn't it, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, I think it's on everyone's lips at the moment. Everyone's talking about Bitcoin. There seems to be a, a lot more interest. People are sort of looking at it as an investment. I'm sure we'll have a discussion as to what our views are with regards to that later on in the podcast. But yeah, it's definitely a theme that continues to grow. You've got it almost seems like a bit of a debate between those people with the financial background and the more IT background. Like there's, mm. there's like obviously pros and cons of, of every currency or, or, or way to trade. Um, but this seems to polarize a lot of people, I think. You know, like you've got the financial people who, from, from what I've seen and read, uh, the Warren Buffetts of the world, other economists who are a little bit skeptical. And then when you listen to the more sort of um, Silicon Valley-based sort of approach, they're, they're obviously very excited about it as to what the potential is. I think people get worried it's with things that are new um, and, and, and people don't understand it. Like we don't even understand the intricacies of the, of the, of the software behind it. Um, one point, I was, I'll just jump into it now. I was going to make the point around the, the internet. Um, when, when the internet first, first arrived here, the scene, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it scared a lot of people. Yeah, people like, didn't trust it at all, did they? Could you imagine people sort of thinking about doing their internet banking or transferring money on the mm. internet? There would have been a lot of skepticism, I suppose, back then. Yeah, no and, and, and like tell me how the internet works. Like, I don't yes. know. Yeah, Do, exactly. pe People, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of maths behind, there's a lot of, you know, software and, and maths behind the, and code behind the internet, but people don't understand how it works. And I think people are, with Bitcoin, they're, they're trying to, understand the people that are worried about it are trying to understand it and pick holes in it but um i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of um reasons why it works i guess as well and i think well it is working in it to some extent i mean obviously it's in its infancy right now people are becoming familiar with it but there there is a lot of excitement is that excitement overdone um i suppose that's what we can have a bit of a chat about that there's a lot of people speculating with with bitcoin um but, but i thought i mean we were having a bit of a chat to it before the podcast but I think for a lot of our listeners trying to understand Bitcoin and, and just the mechanics of it might be helpful. But I think before we do that, it's almost important to go go back <laughs> a number of years and just work out, I suppose, the history of how people transacted in the past. Because I think that is relevant in a lot of ways because you'd probably argue that 
throughout history as our means of transacting with other people has changed there's probably been skepticism along the way there's probably been booms and busts and we've got some examples of that so um yeah i thought we could have a bit of a chat about sort of the history of money and provide people with a bit of a background as to um how historically people have transacted and how that's changed yeah definitely i think it's a it's a good place to start so we'll talk about um kind of what bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are in a moment but to start what is what is money um so it's a well it's a medium of exchange isn't it you know we i'll i'll give you ten dollars to buy a good off you so it's a medium of exchange but but going back to the i guess you always go back to the start don't you and back in the um the days you know when humans were um just starting out um that really would have been a, a barter system wouldn't it so if I wanted a, um, if I wanted, a, I don't know, a piece of uh, some grains that you had, I might offer up a piece of meat, and we might work out a, a fair deal based on the on the goods that we have. Exactly, and I think that that probably worked at the time, but I suppose that as you move through through time, it, although it had its benefits um, to create some form of trade, as, as you were saying, you know, if you had a chicken and I wanted a cow, how many chickens would it take to get that cow? And I suppose that's where it, it was, a, I suppose, a, a fairly clunky way to trade, wasn't it? Because if mm. I had something um, that you wanted, but you didn't have anything that I wanted, that, that's where the trade effectively stops, doesn't it? And I suppose that's where it moved to a more um, modern type of transacting, which you could argue would have been um, jewelry or, or you know, valuable commodities. Yeah, yeah. And then that obviously, you know, went all the way to, to, to coins or, or probably coins initially, which yeah. did have some value, you know, the actual value of the coin. Um, and then it's obviously moved on to that to, to money in it. And, and moving towards coins, for example, would have made things a lot easier because it would have had a, a, a defined value. Um, however, that was set. So if I want to buy that, that piece of meat off you, I, I know that I have to give you, I don't know, two coins or whatever. The, and obviously, it's a lot easier to transport. So it would have made... Uh, that transaction a lot easier for us. Yeah, yeah so I, mean, I think it was only it's only been in the last couple of hundred years that we've actually had paper money, um, and it wasn't really until the last was it in the sort of seventies or it might have been before that where all of that currency that was issued effectively by a central government was backed by gold. I know the U.S. currency up until not that long ago in in, in recent history was was backed by gold so there was a facility where if you had a note you could actually convert that to gold um, but that's not really the case anymore is it yeah not 1971 the 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 gold standard was was removed in in the u.s so yeah it's hard to believe it it, it wasn't that long ago that yeah every every dollar every u.s dollar was was physically backed by a commodity gold and is it fair to say that that was because people gained more confidence they like had, yeah, I think they had confidence knowing that there was something tangible or real behind that money. Yeah. I think that, that that's the reason that the gold standard was around. But then obviously there was other issues presented with, with maintaining a gold standard. So effectively now the, the money supply is controlled by central banks around the world. Um, and, and the reason that we're able to transact with money is effectively because we have trust in that system that's been built over probably a few hundred years is, is that sort of would that be a fair summary as to why it works now even though there's nothing aside from us i suppose the federal governments mm. backing this currency and that, that's perhaps what, what gives people that confidence but there's no 
solid commodity or, or asset that's backing it is there. Yeah, that's right. So, so fiat currencies, or as, as they're known, FIAT, fiat currencies are backed by effectively nothing, no, 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 um, nothing of value apart from the word of the government. Um, and I think I think that's the reason why Bitcoin has gained in in popularity because um, a lot of people are getting uh, have have been fed up with the intervention of of central gov- central governments and. Um, the obvious example there is the the U.S. Federal Reserve with uh, quantitative easing, where they've basically flooded the the system with with money, and that effectively can, if that continues, lead to inflation and I suppose devalue the the dollars that you have, doesn't it? All the currency that you're holding. That's right. They're, they're, it's not a, a a scarce commodity if they're injecting all this new money into the into the system and that that dollar that you already had is now less valuable because there's a lot more dollars and basically, as you said, it, it creates inflation. So um, that money doesn't work as hard for you anymore, does it? No, exactly. But, and I suppose in terms of transacting, um, the way that the, the, I suppose the current system, so to speak, with, with money works is that if I want to buy something from you or if I want to transact or transfer a, a currency from my account to yours... That's where, as the current system um, works, is effectively me transferring the money um, through it through an intermediary, effectively, which is which is a bank. So, with the the bank basically facilitating the the transaction, do you think the reason why Bitcoin has become so popular in in recent times is because? Firstly, it is it's clunky dealing. Like I'm thinking about a situation now where I might want to transfer money to Glenheim in Australia, for example. You're in America, and I want to send you a sum of money. Um, obviously, it can be it can be transaction cost for one currency conversion. Do you think that's the reason why why Bitcoin has become popular recently? Because it is it is somewhat kind of tricky to transfer money, in particular overseas between different currencies. I think so. I mean, uh, with with I suppose greater trade between countries and like things like eBay and and other platforms which enable you to buy things from all over the world. I think it is very costly. I mean, we all know that how we get stung when we just transfer one, from one currency to another, whether you're going overseas or if you're just buying something from another, from another country. So I suppose that's what's driven um, the popularity of transacting with Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies. Um, th- there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think in, in the end, like anything, isn't it? Like with the taxi industry being threatened by Uber, in, in some ways, you know, the, the larger, more traditional financial institutions in some ways are, are, are being attacked by cryptocurrencies, aren't they? So why do you think, why do you think, I mean, you've done a little bit of research on, on Bitcoin and why do you think people are adopting Bitcoin? What do you think are the benefits of Bitcoin? Well, I think the major benefit is as we were just alluding to, it's the... It's effectively removing that intermediary, whether people who don't have trust in banks anymore or they're just fed up with the significant costs incurred in transacting between one entity and another. Um, because effectively the way that cryptocurrency or Bitcoin works in order to remove that intermediary, um, it's basically a peer-to-peer network. So instead of having the intermediary administer and manage bank accounts for multiple people, um, the big difference is that everyone can see every transaction and can see everyone's accounts. Now, there is a, a level of privacy, which we obviously don't want to go into 
today as to how it's all structured, but essentially it's a public ledger of everyone's account so that you can't spend $1 of currency more than once. So once you've spent your one Bitcoin, the public ledger will account for that and everyone can see that you've spent it so that you can't then spend it again. So effectively, it's a very foolproof type system with a lot of mathematical equations and and complexity behind it. Um, But by making it a public ledger as opposed to a more private or intermediary ledger, um, you remove the need to have a a bank of sitting in the middle. Yeah, a bank or or a central bank and... And and I think yeah the ease of the ease of sending money is definitely a, a big reason why it's gained so much popularity. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the the miners and how and how they're rewarded for um, I guess cracking the code so to speak or verifying the transactions? Yeah, and look, this is something that's very complex, and I suppose doing a bit of background um, research on Bitcoin, but also suppose trying to familiarize myself with it trying to find a um, simple explanation that that people would understand is very very difficult but I suppose a simplistic way to understand it is that it's actually very similar to mining any precious resource where there's machinery there's resources required to mine bitcoin Um, but effectively what the miners are, are are people who are verifying the transaction so if you think of a network of computers around the world that each have um, exposure to that ledger they're effectively the miners and the way that they get rewarded is by confirming the transaction so if i transfer a bitcoin from myself to you that effectively creates what's called a block Um, and in order for that block to be verified miners effectively convert that to a very complex mathematical formula and then the miners through their computer systems have to solve that formula. Um, and the reward for solving that complex mathematical equation is Bitcoin. Now, at the moment, for every verification, a miner is actually rewarded with 12.5 Bitcoin. It used to be 25 Bitcoin. Um, but every four years, the reward halved. So effectively, they're, they're, it's not an infinite resource the 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 number of bitcoins has been capped at 21 million and basically as as more and more miners or more and more people add to the network the complexity of that formula increases so so that's where i mean a lot of a lot of our listeners may have seen um, documentaries online or via youtube and you'll see that there's a number of these effectively warehouses with multiple multiple um, computer systems that are trying to solve this you know, code basically so that they can be rewarded with Bitcoin. Um, so effectively, the more and more miners there are, um, the harder that formula becomes. So in some ways, it, it controls the supply and demand. So if, if you assume for a second that um, all of those servers got turned off, that's where it becomes more simplistic. So early on in the life of Bitcoin, you could actually mine Bitcoin with a, with a desktop computer. Um, because the equations were quite simple. So effectively, the more miners there are, the harder it becomes and the more resources that you need. Um, So I suppose very simplistically, that's how it works. Miners are rewarded with Bitcoin and effectively the role of the miner is to confirm the validity of transactions. So when when the 21 million Bitcoin is reached in, how long is that again? When when they're going to reach the capacity of Bitcoin? Um, a I couple think, years away, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that, that well, from what I've read, there's only been 12 million Bitcoin 
um, that have been issued up until this this point in time. Um, but we, we do have some years to go before obviously we get to the 21 million Bitcoin. So, um, so a, quest- a question for you is when they, when they reach... By two, sorry, by 2000... So the, the, the 21 million is expected to be reached by 2140. Oh wow, that's some time away. Yes, that's some years away. Okay, I, th- I thought it was a lot sooner than that. So, so when when that is reached, Glenn, how do the how do the miners get rewarded for for solving the or verifying the transactions? Well, my understanding is that there's still transaction fees. So by participating in that network, um, there is still obviously you get the Bitcoin, but there's also mining fees, or there's also those transaction fees as well. So I think that's that's the future of of um, the incentive for miners is to effectively get those transaction fees. Because without the miners, the system doesn't exist. You, you exactly. need multiple miners there to, I suppose, operate the infrastructure of, of the network so that transactions can be verified. Sure. So, but, so do you think when, when, the, when capacity is reached and there's scarcity of the currency, we just spoke about before with... with um, you know the US dollar or the Australian dollar or any currency for that matter, uh, more more dollars can be created and that can cause inflation. Do you think the fact that it ev- ev- eventually will be a finite amount of Bitcoin? Do you think that was created for a reason where it creates scarcity and protects the value of it somewhat? Yeah, I and mean, I think like any commodity, the only reason people would want to buy something is, is because it's scarce. If, if it's something that you, whether it's an investment or something that you want to transact with, no one will want something that's an infinite resource. So I think in some ways, cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin or other forms of cryptocurrency, have to have a finite level. But I suppose therein lies the risk because at the moment there's Bitcoin, but what's, what's stopping further cryptocurrencies being issued? Um, and I suppose th- that's where... At the moment, there's a lot of um, excitement and a lot of speculation with Bitcoin, which, as you said earlier, has really driven up the price. But but can and will that continue? I suppose only time will tell. Yeah, that, look, that's one of the things I've definitely been thinking about a lot recently with with Bitcoin. I know uh, Ethereum, I think it's called, is the other the other main player. Um, and because the the software um, is is open source behind it, what drives Bitcoin? Um, you know, th- there is opportunity for other um, different ones to pop up, different cri- cryptocurrencies to pop up. And I suppose that that's one thing that I've, I'm fearful of um, for people kind of putting a lot of money into Bitcoin that if another couple take off, um, supply and demand factors will, will come into it and people might pull their money um, out of Bitcoin and put it into the new one. And further to that... Um, I know we've, we, we read an article in the Fin Review recently where um, central banks, so the RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, and really all countries all around the world, they're starting to take this really seriously now because Bitcoin has got to a scale now where it's quite large. So central banks don't want to, I guess, be caught off, off guard on this. So I think they're looking into ways where they can either um, adapt to cryptocurrencies or even maybe create their own cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from a from a monetary policy perspective, that that's how central banks can stimulate or or contract economies is by controlling the money supply. So, not no one's saying at at this point that you know Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies will completely um, remove the need for the more traditional types of money. But 
yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they, they would be concerned because it does take one of the, I suppose, tools out of their toolkit, doesn't it, when, when it comes to economic stimulus or economic control. And, and that's probably something that has enabled them to manage the boom-bust sort of cycles and we probably haven't had as many recessions as what we used to have because of that, because of the control of the money supply. A lot of people talk about the, the black market and Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So, yeah, how do you think uh, – do you think central banks are, or governments are worried about about that becoming more prevalent, being used for the wrong things, you crime and whatnot? Would be. I mean, with, as I said, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert in, in Bitcoin whatsoever as to, as to how, it, how it works and, and how, it's, how it's tracked. But because of the privacy that's required on this public ledger, I mean, obviously, we, we talk about a public ledger which effectively drives – um, the transactions within within Bitcoin, um, but that doesn't mean that everyone's name and personal details are published for everyone to see. Effectively, you have a private key, which which gives you some identity. So, I, I just I sort of struggle to understand how governments can regulate whether it's taxation if you're operating a business that's transacting with Bitcoin, um, whether it's the black market, so to speak. You know, there's multiple things that I think Bitcoin can be used for, um, you know, the less traditional type things, probably illegal, you know, crime, money laundering. Um, I was listening to something the other day where someone said that you could effectively cross borders with a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin because all you need is your electronic wallet. Mm. So it's very easy to, to launder money or to move money across borders effectively. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, notes, um, one of the main reasons why in particular, if you look at the US dollar or the Australian dollar, have $100 caps is because it makes it difficult to move large amounts of money outside of the traditional sort of banking system. So th- there must be something that they're looking at. But I think it's it's one of those things that they can't completely ignore or over-regulate because, as we are saying, something else can just be created. If we go back to you know early um, peer-to-peer type software where we had Napster, which was enabled people to share music, um, then we had multiple other torrent-type websites which enabled people to share movies and TV shows. I mean, effectively, the, the, that's a peer-to-peer system that the governments haven't really been able to to stop in a lot of ways, have they, apart from copyright laws and things like that. So I don't think it's something that they can stop, but it's definitely something that they perhaps should be aware of. Yeah, it also, it reminds me a little bit of the, the whole Uber situation as well where governments kind of... They can't do a lot about it. Like they don't necessarily like it because it's ruining taxi industries. But unfortunately, there's not a lot they can do about it. Um, and there's probably a threat that if, let's just say, Australia said oh, we're, we're going to ban the use of Bitcoin, then you can you can almost you can be taking two steps backwards. And all it takes is another country to embrace it, and and that could stimulate their economy and o- open the doors for trade. You, you, I think they've just got to be very wary of of the approach that they take. But I suppose. Our biggest concern within financial markets is the significant growth in Bitcoin since it was since it came to the fore. Was it back in two thousand and eight? Um, I mean, the price has has just grown exponentially, in particular in the last you know couple of years or so. Um, is it an investment? Is it a currency? Like, how should how should people be viewing it in that in that way? Yeah, I, I, I tell, I tell people. Well, my view on this is: um, Are you an investor in currencies? Because one thing, you know, if people, if someone comes to me and says, "I want to invest in Bitcoin," I'm like, "Do you invest in currencies?" Because effectively, it is a currency. Um, I, I caution people. 
probably my biggest caution to people is just don't don't necessarily follow the herd because you know it, it is volatile. Um, if you look back at Bitcoin's history, it was effectively yeah in two thousand and nine when it was created, it was effectively worth nothing at the start, and then its its rise has obviously been sensational um, all the way up to seven thousand US dollars. But if you even go back, I said at the start of the year it was a thousand dollars and it's gone to seven thousand, but Back in 2013, um, it, it had a, a, f- a fairly decent run and went up to 1200 US dollars, but then it fell 80% all the way down to $200. So it, it, is, it is volatile. So I think one thing we've both said, we think the technology behind Bitcoin is, is very good. Um, and if you want to use Bitcoin to transfer money, um, or transfer wealth um, that I, I think you could use it, but I, I would just caution anyone, um, you know, putting too much of your portfolio in Bitcoin because it is it is volatile and there's no there, there is risks and there's no guarantees. That it's not really backed up. by anything either, is it? I mean, when we're recommending clients invest in certain assets, what we're generally looking for is, is cash flow generation, isn't it? So whether it's fixed interest or equities or property, we're looking at assets that can generate that cash flow because at least then that gives you some backing and something to value it on. Whereas as you were saying, with Bitcoin, what's it backed by? What, what, what's the purpose of this investment? Um, because mm. at least if you put money in a, in a foreign currency, in a foreign bank account, there's a potential you might get an income return from that. Whereas with Bitcoin as an investment, I mean, I think it's really more of a speculative type asset, which is the, the price is ultimately going to be driven by demand from other speculators, isn't it? Yeah, I was, you took the words out of my mouth, speculation. It's, it's pure speculation and um, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. It could, could go up, it could go down. It's, uh, you know, if you buy a company and, and look at the fundamentals, you, can, you, know, you might be able to work out what you think that company's worth. But with Bitcoin, it's very difficult, um, or any currency for that matter, um, to, to kind of understand what it's going to do in the future. And I know, Glenn, I know you wanted to have a discussion around bubbles and and you know, potentially it's in bubble territory we don't know but and, and you know uh, bubbles in history um did you want to yeah I, mean, I was probably amused a little bit i mean if you, if you go back to your for those of you out there who have, who have studied economics or financial markets you know th- there's been multiple boom bust type cycles throughout history but but one that that sort of comes up every so often is, is the tulip mania craze in the netherlands in the 1600s and effectively what happened was that um, at that particular time, tulips became very fashionable um, and speculators effectively pulled into the market like wildfire and basically started trading it, um, transacting with, with tulips as opposed to currency. And, and there was a time where you know, people were making ridiculous sums of money effectively by just buying and selling um, tulip bulbs. Um, there was even situations where people um, had, had bought property and land um, purely with, with, with tulips. And I suppose when you look at any boom, um, it's when everyone starts getting involved that you know the alarm bells start ringing. Um, and during the height of the sort of tulip and bulb craze in, in the mid sort of 1630s, I mean, everyone was involved in the trade. So the rich, the poor, um, the children, pretty much anyone at parties who didn't have tulips was, I suppose, in some ways viewed as a leper. And, and there was a period where it, it sort of went up by 10 times in, in one day. So... There's no doubt that that sort of period was a was a boom and people were making a lot of money speculating on on tulips. But in the end, all it took was basically an overnight disappearance in trade where everyone started panicking. And I think that's the theme that generally happens within a boom and bust 
everyone gets excited, everyone's involved, um, you know, friends, family, um, neighbours, whatever it may be, everyone's sort of piling into whatever the asset is, whether it's tulip bulbs, whether it's Bitcoin, whatever it may be. Um, but then all it takes is for a few people to start selling and then people start getting fearful and then there's more sellers and more sellers. So I suppose as an asset, if that's what we can refer to it as, um, we'd be just concerned with the level of growth in such a short period of time and we'd really start asking, is it a bubble? Um, and if and when that bubble will burst and how are you being protected against that? Um, I, I was listening to, a, to another podcast not that long ago um, where Peter Schiff, he's a CEO of a, um, a hedge fund and he, he was quite criti- critical of, of Bitcoin. And, and, but obviously people have come back to him and said, well, you know, two years ago you, you said Bitcoin was, was not a viable asset and it's, it's gone up exponentially. Um, and one of the comments that he made was that you can be wrong and still profit from being wrong as long as the other fools are also doing the wrong thing. So just because an asset continues to go up doesn't mean that you're right. Um, and, and eventually that can come home to roost, I suppose. And if that bubble bursts, it doesn't take much. And, we, and we've seen how quickly, with Bitcoin in particular, how quickly it can fall. So I think my concern would be that the rapid increase, can that be followed by a rapid decrease? That's definitely the risk. And I know I, I did a blog on Bitcoin last week and all the articles were Bitcoin has just, just reached 6,000 US dollars and today it's just reached 7,000 US dollars. So, I mean, I got a, I got a shock when in the space of a, a week or two, it, it's already soared by 1,000 US dollars. It is... It is, you know, you look at a graph of it, it's basically a straight line up, isn't it? Yeah. And we always get fearful um, when anything goes up that, that much. And in, in my blog, just a, an interesting stat that I, um, I, I put in there. Um, so Bitcoin effectively was, was created, when it came out, it was worth nothing. And then the value started being attributed to it as people wanted to buy it. Um, so it's high in 2010, was 39 US cents. So 39 cents was at the highest level it was in 2010. So if you had have just purchased $100 worth of Bitcoin in, in 2010 at the highest level of 39 cents, um, that, 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 that amount of Bitcoin would now be worth 1.5 million US dollars. I think that's what gets people excited, isn't it? I mean, I heard, I heard a story where someone had bought like a pizza with Bitcoin many, many years ago and that individual just hang on, hung on to the Bitcoin and now is worth multiple money and I think that's where whether it's you know we've gone through this property super cycle which probably hasn't been to the extent as what Bitcoin has but it's almost like the fear of missing out isn't it it's like everyone sort of sees this opportunity to make to make money but in the end um, I think you've with any investment one of the things that we always say is understand it now I would question whether people who are buying Bitcoin even know what it is all they know is that it's gone up in, in a su- such a rapid um, at, at a rapid pace that they just you know they feel like they need to get in on board or they're going to miss out <laughs> yeah I completely agree that that fear of missing out it's the uh, it's the allure of the gains that people have made looking back that they're going to make those gains you know moving forward and you know, who knows I know I saw something the other day where someone reckons Bitcoin will go to 50,000 so look there's still there's still people out there that think that it's going to really keep keep tearing upwards but I'm fearful because every time you know, every time you buy it, you know someone's selling it, and and those people that are selling it have probably made a lot of money, and and all it takes is the the tide to turn a little bit and a few more sellers um, to start selling, and it can really drive the price down. Yeah, and I think 
we, we'd both agree that we definitely see a place for not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrencies in general going forward. I think there's no doubting that it will become a fairly significant part of, of the way that we transact in future. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's an investment, um, nor should it be viewed as an investment going forward. Because, we, you know, our, our view um, with portfolio management is, to, as I said earlier, invest in things you understand, but also invest in things that are backed by something. Um, and we'd probably say the same thing about gold, wouldn't we? I mean, although gold can be used as a, you know, a defensive asset um, during times of, of economic downturn or, or fear in the market, essentially that doesn't generate any income either. Um, so it, it's just something to be very mindful, I suppose, when you're looking at buying Bitcoin. Um, it is very much a speculative asset. There's no guarantees. And just because it's gone up in recent times doesn't mean that it's going to continue into the future. Yeah, I'd agree with those comments. I think that Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency could be very useful as a as a medium of exchange, and it makes it would make life easy to to perhaps purchase things. But uh, as an investment, uh, I I definitely I'm a little bit fearful of investing in especially something that's gone up so much. And look, I I might be we might be wrong. It might keep going up and up and up and up. And you know what? If it does do that, and I miss out, well, I mean, I'm comfortable as long as I'm invested in other things that also perform. I can I can deal with that. Yeah, and I, I suppose the other bit of advice would be that if it's something that you're you just can't get away from and you, and you feel tempted to invest, don't put your house on it. <laughs> like what people did with the tulips in the 1600s, where people were selling their homes to buy tulips to make quick money. Um, I think with any asset, you want to make sure that you've got diversification within your portfolio that you're not too heavily exposed. And in particular, if you're taking a bit of a punt with with speculative investment, not something that we would ordinarily subscribe to with our clients. But if if it is the case, I think you have to assume that, you know, what, how would you feel if it became zero, and how would that impact your overall wealth? Um, what's your What's your thoughts on the whole uh, mystery around the the creation of Bitcoin? So, Bitcoin was founded by somebody supposedly by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, nobody knows if Satoshi Nakamoto actually exists; is a real person. Um, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, whether it's a person, a company, a government. Um, it's a, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? All the mystery around uh, the creation it, of it. Very much so. And, and that's something, I mean, I, that I would encourage people to go away and read um, Nakamo- Satoshi Nakamoto, whether that's an individual, a person, you know, a group, a male, a female, um, wh- whomever it is. There's actually a white paper that, that's, that's written that you can just Google um, Bitcoin white paper and it's actually quite interesting it's not over the top with its technicalities that, that we've tried to avoid today because it is very very complex but um, I think that that would be something that I'd point people to is that particular white paper that's, that, that was derived um, but yeah it is very much you know something that comes out of the movies in a lot of ways where it is a very secretive thing um, but I suppose that therein lies the, the importance of just understanding what you invest in do your research um, you don't have to understand the, the, the you know, the, the absolute complexities. I mean, I, I would argue that most people don't understand how the traditional monetary system works in order to invest in it. But you know, j- just do 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 some homework. Definitely. So so look, just to just to wrap up, um, I think we we both agree that the technology behind Bitcoin um, is very good, and as a medium of, ex- of exchange, um, th- there's definitely merits for it. Um, and uh, you know, one, one thing we, we didn't really touch on, but the technology could definitely be adopted 
you know, in, in, in the financial sector and other means. For example, I know there's smart contracts and how people, for example, buy and sell homes. Um, so the technology is great. Um, I think we would definitely caution people about, you know, investing too much of their wealth in Bitcoin um, because of the speculative nature. Do your research, understand it. Um, it's quite complex. Um, so, yeah, look, we, we hope you've enjoyed today's, today's discussion and we, we look forward to hearing you at a, or catching you at our next podcast. Thank you once again for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, please check out our sponsor's website. Uh, so that's Hewison Private Wealth. And the, the website address is www.hewison.com.au. Please also uh, search for Hewison Private Wealth via um, all the social media channels, which is uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you could not only subscribe, but also uh, rate the podcast and feel free to leave a, a message. Um, if you do have any, any topic suggestions or any feedback, also uh, feel free to email us at moneymentors, which is all one word, um, at hewison.com.au. Thanks once again for listening and we look forward to having you with us next time.